This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Uh, I want to jump into the word of God. Is that okay? Can we jump into the word? Uh, We're continuing our sermon series in in the gospel according to Matthew. And if you're wondering when this is going to get over, I don't know. Okay, so if you're tired of hearing Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, uh, we're going to keep talking about it. So uh, we're going to do, there's, there's another graphic, not this one. It's, this is the Bible app one. Okay, there you go. Uh, so we're going to title the message, A Seat at the Table. Uh, the Seat at the Table. I'm going to continue Matthew, and we're going to chapter number 9. So Matthew chapter number 9, and we're going to verse 1 and all the way to verse 8. So we started this 24 uh, weeks ago. I, not, not technically, but we took a few breaks here and there. But tw- today is our 25th installment of the Gospel according to Matthew. And we're still in Matthew chapter 9. Okay, so we got around 21 chapters more to go. No, no big deal. All right, so uh, I know we're in this for a ride, man. And we're en- anybody enjoying this series? You're, you're enjoying studying the Word? I am thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying it. If I tell you about the new stuff that I learned Sunday after Sunday, weekend after weekend, if I begin to explain to you the joy that I, I have in discovering and learning new things, you'd be amazed. And I know that I hear from some of you about how God is speaking to you personally uh, through the season as well. So go with me to Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 to 8. And getting into the boat... He gets into the boat again, and getting into the boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. We talked about this a few chapters ago uh, when Jesus healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And verse 2, and behold, some people brought to him a paralytic laying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, their faith, the people that brought him, their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. Verse 4, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Verse 7, and he arose, went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. They glorified God who had given such authority to men. Uh, Many, 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 many years ago, uh, I think it was in the early 2000s, I was in in high school, and uh, I was... uh, uh, I was going, I was running uh, against a couple of other, a couple of other people uh, or s- classmates of mine to secure a spot on our school debate team. Uh, in, uh, there, there were two people from the class that were selected, from each class that was selected in the high school to, uh, to kind of, uh, to make the qualifiers. And uh, those who would win in the qualifiers would then go on to make a four-man or four-woman, woman-man, whoever it is, uh, debate team uh, of sorts from different teams, from different classes. 
And uh, I love debating. I love talking. I love arguing. My wife will tell you that I love debating. And even the best debater sometimes uh, fails against his own wife, okay? Sometimes you just got to give up uh, because they are really good, better at you at debating. Uh, I love debating. I used to uh, be good at it. And uh, I knew I had this in the bag. I knew I had secured my spot on the team because I knew so well that I was so good. I was proud. I was really, really proud of my abilities. I was quickly humbled when I, when I came to find out that the person that was competing against me not only won, but beat me by at least five points. It was not a narrow margin. It wasn't a scrape through. It wasn't a you got lucky there. It was a man, I took a beating. When I say beating, it was a bad beating. I thought I did good, but the judges thought otherwise. I was disappointed, I was dismayed, not because I, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't make the debate team. Of course, that was there, but my ego was bruised. My pride was bruised. My pride had taken a beating, a really bad, bad beating. But it came to me as a surprise and a joy, as a matter of fact, when I got a call one morning from my debate uh, teacher, and she said, hey, Steve is ill. Steve is sick. Steve is the guy that beat me in the qualifier and secured his spot on the debate team. And he said, and she said, it was debate day. It was the day that uh, the, our school was to be represented. And the, the topics were released a week before. And the team had gotten the topics a week before. And they were preparing. And they were getting better at it and stuff. And on the day of the debate, I got a call saying, Steve is not well. You were second spot, second place. So you automatically qualify on the debate team. Do you want it? Now, as much as I wanted to say yes, I also wanted to say no, because my ego was bruised. And you didn't pick me in the first place. And you didn't think I was good in the first place. So no, I don't want it. But then I was given a seat at a table that I didn't deserve. I was given an opportunity that was not mine. I was given an opportunity that, that, that I should not have gotten in the first place, that I shouldn't have, uh, have ever even received to begin with, and it was given, it was granted to me. So in that moment, the only answer I could give was, yes, I will be glad to represent the school in this debate competition. With five hours to prepare for this debate, I gave it my all, I gave it my best and, and, you know, it's, I, I, I went on to, the beauty of it was I went on to win the debate competition, but I would have never achieved that, 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 that plaudit, that medal, that success, if I wasn't given that opportunity, that seat at the table that I did not deserve in the first place. And when we go through life, I wonder how many of us receive seats at the table that we really don't deserve. How many of you received a promotion that you thought that you never deserved in the first place? How many of you got a job? You applied for a job and you're like, man, let me just apply for you. You didn't, you, you, you didn't like, like match any of the credentials. They were like, you need a master's and you don't even have a bachelor's and you got that job. Like, like they required 10 years of experience and you had five and you still got that job. Am I talking to somebody? I know many people over here, and I'm not calling anybody by names, but the reports and the testimonies that I hear from a lot of you is God's favor sometimes is upon you, or most of the times is upon you, that God takes you to tables, and you're like, how did I even get here? 
Like, how did I even get seated at this table? Anybody been there before? You received a scholarship that you didn't deserve. You received money that you thought, man, where did this come from? You, something was, you were at a restaurant and you had a huge bill to pay for your family and it was paid for. Come on, somebody. Like, haven't you seen the favor of God? This morning, I want to talk about favor. I want to talk about a person that received a seat at the table when he didn't deserve to get a seat at the table. And how you and I have been given a seat at the table with Jesus despite of who we are and despite of the condition of our hearts. When we compare this story like I've done over the last three weeks, uh, when we compare the story to the account in Mark, I think there's a lot more clarity. And I'll tell you why, because in Matthew, Matthew is focusing on one subject here because of his background. He is focusing and he wants the reader to get captivated by this idea of Jesus being a savior. Jesus being the one that takes away the sin of the world. And, and because of which he misses out and he leaves out certain details that are pertinent to a study of this particular discourse. In Mark chapter number two and verse number one, the Bible reports the same story. And, and we know this story much better than the story we read in Matthew. So when he returned to Capernaum after a few some days, it was reported that he was at home. That's what the Bible says. People came to know. News travel fast. Verse two, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. It was heard that he was home. I want you to listen closely. It was, it was without a mass email. It was, it was without mass text that was sent out. He did not update his Twitter. He did not update his threads or his Facebook or his Instagram. He didn't go on live and say, hey, I'm in town, show up. I'm, I have a pop-up here in, in Peter's house. I'd love for you to, nothing of that. He arrived and people knew, knew he arrived. It's amazing that word spread rapidly. What home? Peter's home. Like we talked about in just a few, uh, like a few uh, Sundays ago, Peter's home became a base of operations where the healing of Jesus started happening, where people were healed rapidly, where people were invited into the home, people that came around the home, people that walked around the home, they were healed. And verse number two, the Bible says, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he preached the word to them. I want to remind somebody where the preaching of the word happens, people will show up. Where God's word is preached unashamedly, the church of Jesus Christ will grow. People will change. Lives will be transformed. We don't have to have a circus in church. We don't need to have entertainment in church. We don't need to use the modes and the methodologies of the world. God can grow his church. How does it grow when the word of God is preached? And Jesus preached the word to them. How many people gathered? Many. That's what the Bible says. We don't know how many were there, but the Bible says the door was blocked. There was no room, not even at the door. This was the door of Peter's house, the same door that in Mark chapter 1 and verse 33, where the Bible says, and the door was crowded. People heard that, that, that Jesus was casting demons out of people and delivering people, and people just started showing up, and the door was blocked. That's how many people. The residents of Capernaum had not forgotten that incredible day that the whole city had gathered at the door, and they were like, we're in for a treat. Jesus is about to do something amazing. See, where the hunger of people are there, 
When the faith of people are there, my Jesus has the ability to do the extraordinary. I want to remind somebody, that is why I'm pushing our Wednesday, Thursday, Friday fasting, where expectant hearts gather, where people come together with an expectation. God can do wonders. God can do miracles. God can do breakthrough in the hearts of people. Your family's probably expecting a breakthrough. Your finances is expecting a breakthrough. But I want to remind somebody, if you are where Jesus is and where the word of God is released and preached, I'm telling somebody, my God can do the extraordinary. He can release miracles. There can be breakthrough that can happen in a place when Jesus arrives at the scene. There's no need for worldly entertainment to attract people when Jesus comes in. When he comes in, he brings a great company of friends with him. And when the, and, 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 and I remember some people telling me a, a year or two ago, they were like, pastor, you got to, you know, bring on new methods of teaching the word. Maybe people will come in at that point in time. And I said, what are you talking about? And they, and they said, you know, there's this, there's this way pastors teach where it's called, where, where, where they bring, they show movies in church on a Sunday morning and they'll preach from the movie. And they said, if, you know, we, we know churches that have grown and, and it's exponentially grown because they show movies and the pastor will come up, they'll show like a 15 minute clip and the pastor will come and preach for like five minutes from the clip and then he'll go sit down and then another 15 minutes, there's another clip and he'll go sit. And I was like, we ain't doing that. I'm sorry, but we can grow slower, but you can watch, you can watch TV, you can watch your shows at your own. Don't get me wrong. I love my, my movies. I'm a big movie buff. I love movies. But, but when we come into the house of the Lord, entertainment is not needed for people to draw closer to Jesus. Can somebody agree with me today? For those of y'all who want to watch the movie, I'll give you my pastor friend's number. You're welcome to go to his church. They do it once a year. It's called At The Movies. I'm sorry, but we won't do that here. You can come home. We can watch a movie together. Maybe I could preach from it, but not on a Sunday morning. Because the Bible says when the glory came into the temple, man, it filled the house with the presence. God moved in a powerful way. We are praying for days where the glory of God will fill this temple, will fill this church. And when the glory of God fills this place, God can do signs and wonders and miracles and people will be set free. The demons will flee. Miracles will happen. People will receive the anointing. People will be filled with the anointing. People will be baptized baptized in the Holy Spirit. People will be baptized in the water because the glory of God can do that. The glory means the kabod, God himself descending. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus came to that home. In verse 3, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. See, paralytic is one who is lame. He's crippled or paralyzed, disabled or weak of limb. That's what the Bible says. Usually in the feet or the legs. This man is unable to walk. Many theologians will say this is probably very similar to one of the most feared diseases that was called polio, often called infantile paralysis. Most of the people that were affected were children and before a preventative vaccine was developed in the mid-1950s, some 20,000 people were paralyzed by polio and about 1,000 of them died from it each year just in the United States alone. Theologians would say that possibly this man suffered from polio at a very young age. And in the ancient times, paralysis was viewed as permanent. It was a hopeless condition. Nobody could ever come out of it. 
But there was one group of men that looked at their friend who was a paralytic. And they said, man, I believe that Jesus can heal you. While Jesus was teaching in the village, four of these men walked up to their friend's house and said, we got to go somewhere. I'm pretty sure they've made that journey before. They've probably went, gone out to eat before. They've probably gone out to the park before. They've probably hung out before. But this trip was going to be different. This trip was going to be one where they were going to carry him and they were going to bring him back. The Bible said, man, there were four men that had to go on four different corners. This man has probably been disabled. He's been lying around, not moving for years and years and years. And the no exercise possibly caused him to gain some weight. And he's probably a larger man. What two people would otherwise be able to do, four men had to come around and say, we want to see you healed. This trip was going to be different from the trips to the park and the trips to the restaurant. The four men knew that the way they were taking him there was not going to be the same way they were going to bring him back. The faith inside of them was so big that they wanted to see a miracle. I want to remind somebody today, some people that you know will never come to Jesus unless you bring them to Jesus. I want to remind somebody today that they will never know the love of Jesus and they will never experience the power of God and the touch of God unless and until they are brought to Jesus. Someone say they brought him. If the sick man had not been carried to Jesus, he certainly would never have been healed. How many people do you know that need to be brought to Jesus? The other day we were talking, some of our staff members were talking, we were talking about how we have these invite cards outside and as you guys walk out, there's this big board that says invite somebody to church. And we try to restock them and we haven't restocked them in a year. Because nobody's picking out those cards and going and inviting people. I want to encourage, you some, encourage somebody today. Pick a bunch of them, put it in your car. Pick a bunch of them, go and invite people. Because somebody needs to be here to receive the living word of God. God can give the pastor a word for a Sunday. God could, God could give the worship team the anointing. They, they, they would be there to release the anointing. And as they're worshiping, man, signs and wonders and miracles can happen. But if your friends are not here to receive that, come on, am I talking to somebody? Some of us know of our co-workers that need a touch from the Lord, but you're shy. You're scared. You're afraid. You're like, what would they think if I invite them to church? Some of y'all need to send a live link to somebody. It might not be them being in church. You're like, Pastor, I work remote and we don't work in person and I don't even know if they're in Dallas. Send them a link. If God blessed you with a message on a Sunday, go back home and send it to somebody. Maybe they will meet Jesus. Maybe they will encounter Jesus. They had the faith to believe that Jesus could and would meet his need. They didn't do, like, they didn't do what many of us do. We'll pray about it. How many, how many of us look at a need and we just pray about it? Prayers. Hashtag prayers. Hashtags praying for you. Hashtag thinking of you. Like we need to be doers. We need to be people that go beyond the, hey, I'm thinking about you or I'm praying about you. They didn't simply pray about it. They put some feet to their prayers. They did not permit the difficult circumstances to discourage them. They didn't look at the impossibility and say, this is not going to be possible. They looked at the impossibility and said, man, we've seen Jesus work. We've seen demoniacs being healed. And they said, we are going to do everything in our power to do something about what our friend is going through. How many of us have the faith to change somebody else's destiny? 
How many of us have the faith inside of us to change the course of somebody else's life? The power is inside of you. The decision is something that you have to make. Verse number four, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. The New Living Translation says they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. I don't know about you experiencing distractions when you're preaching and teaching, but I do this every Sunday. Oh man, and the distractions are real. Sometimes I thank God for these glaring lights in my eyes. <laughs> Some of y'all are tired, man. Y'all had, had a rough Saturday night. Y'all had a long Saturday night. You know, some of us are like, I, I remember when I was in church, uh, growing up, I remember I, there was this one youth meeting. Anybody else? Uh, man, y'all slept through sermons and messages. And yeah, I, I remember one youth service that I was at, and I, I fell asleep, man. I was, I was, it was not a, amen, not, not that. It was a all out, you know, my head dangling, all out. I was done. I was out. And I still remember they play, they, all my friends played a prank on me, including the youth pastor, and they switched all the lights off and they left. They just left. One hour, they were outside in the lobby. They just didn't leave, leave. They were outside in the lobby and I woke up and I was like, what just happened to Jesus come already? I'm glad they didn't leave their shoes around in there. But man, talk about distractions. This one has to beat out all the distractions. The Bible literally says in Greek, they dug, they scooped it out. It was graphic and true to the fact because, see, a, a modern roof, your roof and my roof, would either be tiled or would be shingled. Back in the day, they weren't, child, they weren't tiled. They were not shingled. Those were different roofs. Like an oriental roof would have to be dug to make sure an opening was required. Why? Because it was this composition of water and tar and ashes and sand. It was like concreted upon there, spread, rolled hard, and grass was growing in the crevices. And literally, the only way they could get to Jesus was to make a opening, an opening in the roof. The Bible says the door was closed. And by what, what they meant by that was there was no space at the door. The front door literally had a crowd of people around it to where nobody wanted anybody to go in. Everybody wanted a glimpse of what God was doing. Sometimes we can be so engrossed in sitting and viewing and watching that we don't have a heart for other people who desperately need Jesus to allow them in. They are around. They're all around. We, we can't hear the cries. I'm pretty sure they said, hey, guys, move out of the way. I'm pretty sure they said, hey, would you make a way? Would you? This guy needs help. But they wanted to see what was going on. They wanted to witness what was going on. Maybe there were people that needed a healing as well. But sometimes we can be so engrossed in, in just this experience and getting used to being around the presence of God that we don't allow and that we don't create a culture and a, an environment where people that need Jesus can break through the crowd and come and meet Jesus. I don't know what that might be. 
I don't know if those can be inhibitions. I don't know if those can be things that we are, that, that, that we can look at ourselves and say, man, these are the things that are stopping. But for a lot of us, there are things that can stop other people from meeting Jesus. But in Matthew chapter nine, I just want to kind of parallel this. We go back to Matthew chapter nine and I want to go in, go on in this passage in Matthew chapter nine and then we'll come back to this. The Bible says this and I want to pause there, right? Where we, we talked about where Jesus, they, they dug the roof and the Bible says they dug the roof, they literally opened it up, and they lowered this man down. I want to pause there. I want to go to Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 to 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus is telling them, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You know who God came, came to give a seat at the table to? You and me. You and I are sinners. This man called Matthew is the man that we're introduced to. He also has another name. His name is Levi. Jewish men could have two names. One was a family name, and Levi was the Jewish family part of his name, and, 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 and Matthew was his actual name. It was the name that was probably given to him by his parents, which meant gift of God. It happens to be my last name, and my parents thought it would just be cool to take away one of the T's. So that's the only difference between that Matthew and this Matthew. He happened to be a Levite. He was born into the tribe of serving God in temple worship. And the Bible says he is a tax collector. He had a tax booth. Now I want to clarify this. I want, to, I want you to know why it was so hard for this man to have a seat at the table. He was a tax collector. That's why. Why was it difficult for him to have a, a, a seat at the table? Because Rome ruled the world back then. They exacted taxes on every province that they ruled. Everybody had to pay up their taxes. The Jews considered paying respect to Caesar borderline idolatry. They basically said, hey, because you serve Caesar and because you treat him like God, and literally he called himself God. He literally called Caesar, literally called himself, I'm the son of God or I'm God. And the Jews detested him and the Jews had a problem with this. And the Jews said, man, we are not supposed to consider this man as God. And if we support him, we are, we are supporting idolatry. And, and, and they said no. And, and because of the tax collectors were directly connected to Caesar and the Roman Empire, they said this was not of God. People that were tax collectors were evil, corrupt people. There were two kinds of tax collectors, two kinds of tax collectors. One was the Gabai. The goodbye were the ones that executed taxes year after year. You knew those taxes were to come. For in our example, it's the property tax that we owe. That's what they did. They, they had the land taxes, the income taxes that we owe. These are understood taxes. Am I talking to somebody? They're, they're poll taxes. That they had to pay 10% of their grain, 5% of their fruit, 1% of their wage to the Roman government. 
They, they levied a census tax. Once in a while they had a census and they would go around collecting a census tax for each member of the household. These were understood taxes. And the Gabai executed these taxes. They, made, they were the IRS of that day. And then there was the Mokes. The Mokes, they, they basically were these tax collectors that had permission to set up tents and booths in the middle of a busy area. They could set up tents anywhere and everywhere and they could extract and levy tax on, taxes on anything and everything they thought was okay. They were lenient to the rich and they were tough on the blue collar. The Jews hated them. For example, they could stop a farmer that had one donkey and they could say, hey, bring that donkey. We want to tax this donkey. And if the man looked at him and said, man, I don't have the money to pay tax for this donkey, that the, the, the tax collector, the mokes, had the, had the privilege or, or they, they literally could take the donkey away from him and give him a, less, a lesser donkey that weighed lesser, that was smaller in size, that was malnutritioned. They, they had the ability to exchange and give. And the value, the, the, the difference in the value was what they got as tax. Like think about how evil their minds were. Matthew had a booth. He was the Mokes. They were the most hated. Jesus invites this man, who the disciples, who Peter could not, like, like when Peter would bring fish from the sea, when they would fish and they would bring their, 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 their bounty and their, before they sold it, they met Matthew at the corner and Matthew was like, pay up. Am I talking to somebody? So in addition to the income tax that they had to pay to the Roman government, they had to pay Matthew. And every single time Matthew came up to them, they detested Matthew. They did not like this dude. And this was the man that Jesus was like, hey, I have a seat at the table. Would you like to come and sit? Oof. And if you had a friend circle and somebody invited somebody that you didn't like into that circle? Oh, come on. Everybody's like not saying anything right now. <laughs> you're like, that guy's invited to the party? You show up and you're like, ah, uh, not him. Not her. Matthew was a guy like that. Jesus was like, yup, he's the most hated. But Jesus invites him into his rabbinic school to be a disciple. And the disciples are flabbergasted. The disciples are like shocked. They're like, man, Lord, like, what are you doing? Like, we are loyal to you. Like, we are your people. How could you even imagine? How could you even think that we'd be okay with coexisting with this evil man that exhorts, ex exhorts from us, that takes away from us, that cheats us? Oof. This thing about repentance that you need to understand. There is no religious construct where anyone can openly approach God until they move away from being a sinner and being away being being a sinner and being becoming a you know a penitent like like confessing their sins there's no construct there's no religious construct and that includes Judaism that includes Buddhism that includes Hinduism that includes Islam any 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 construct any religious construct that you can even think of remember this you cannot approach God until you get your act together Jesus was walking into that religious construct of Judaism and he was like, I am disrupting something. I am changing something. 
See, Judaism taught that repentance can only be real if it was accompanied by some outward act of contrition. They basically said action had to back up attitude. You just can't say, sorry, God, and walk away with it. That was not what they were okay with. You know what the rabbis taught? Let me show you. The rabbis taught that there were four levels of sin. I want you to understand this in order for you to understand why it was a big deal for Matthew to get a seat at the table. The rabbis taught this. There, was, there were four levels of sin. One, there was a simple infraction of commandment, right? If any of the commands that, that you broke, right, all you can do is have a contrite heart. Yes, does that make sense? All you have to do is say, Lord, I am sorry, and you will be forgiven. That is step number one. Then there is the breach of prohibition, which means you have to say, sorry, Lord, and you have to sacrifice on the day of atonement. You remember the day that you bring the, 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 the sacrifice and you have to cut the sacrifice? You have to say sorry. So those two have to happen. Not only a contrite heart, but you have to offer a sacrifice too. Then there is, there is purposeful sustained sin. I, I'm not going to go through each one of these in detail because of the lack of time. There's purposeful sustained sin when you go on sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning. When you don't stop sinning, when there's a pattern of sin, then they said you have to do the contrition, there's the sacrifice, and there's also personal suffering. Judaism preached that you have to go through a personal suffering process where you have to put yourself through pain. You have to put yourself through suffering. And that's when you get... But then there was the fourth one where you openly profane the name of God. And for that, that there was only one punishment. Not all of these three. There was only one punishment. It was a five-letter word. And that word is death. That was it. See, for Matthew, the level that he was at was not one, two, or three. The, the level that he was at was level number four. Why? Because he was openly profaning God. Tax collected allegiance to, to Caesar was considered to profane or deny the living God because you were supporting Caesar that said he was God. And God said you should not have any other gods other than me. And Matthew was pledging allegiance to Caesar and he was openly defying God and all that he deserved was death. So the Jews as they passed by Matthew would murmur under their breath, death to you, death to you, death to you. Oh, come on somebody. And this was the man that Jesus was looking at and saying, death was supposed to come to you. The law required you to be put to death. But your God, your Savior, this man, this person that is standing in front of you is asking you, would you like to follow me? I don't care what your background is. I don't care what you've done in your past. I don't care the mistakes you have done because there's something that God has told me time and time again. If Matthew could get a seat at the table and the law told Matthew that he only deserved death, Ashish can do whatever or my past can be whatever. But when I look to the Lord and when I accept his sacrifice and what he did on the cross, my God looks at me and says, I have a seat at the table of my God. Oof, come on, somebody. Because for the Jews, true forgiveness for this can only be realized in death. They believe that the Messiah would, would only come simultaneously with the death of those who profane God. Ooh, Jesus openly invites the worst of the sinners to loving rescue. See, Jesus is forever changing the paradigm of religion, it's not works. 
He's saying you don't have to do to become. You just have to be in the presence of God. Receive the anointing of God. Receive the forgiveness of God. So many of us are trying to do to attain. And God is like, no, you just have to receive. That's what Jesus was trying to break. Jesus is inviting us into this new dimension of relationship. Janice, you can get ready to come up on the keys. Jesus is inviting us into this new relationship where we realize that his good is good enough to change me forever. It's not a, hey, David, you got to do this and this and this and this. Check off all these boxes. True life change comes when you receive what Jesus has done for you on the cross of Calvary. This is where I want to take you back to Matthew chapter 9 because Matthew talks so much and lays so much of emphasis on the sin aspect. And this is what Jesus came to do. He became a savior for you and for me. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now listen up, y'all. Matthew's going at it. He's, he's not playing around. The Bible says as soon as the, 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 the roof was open, they lowered this man why did they lower this man? Because they wanted him to be what? Healed. But Jesus doesn't look at his ailment. Jesus looks at his soul. He cares about his soul. He looks at him and says, son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? That you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and he went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. They called what Jesus did blasphemy. They didn't know. What is blasphemy? Blasphemy is committed when things unworthy of God are attributed to him. When you say things about God that has nothing to do with Him, that is lower than Him, you are blaspheming God. You are blaspheming God when things worthy of God are denied to Him. That's also blasphemy. When He is worthy of honor, when He is worthy of glory, and you don't give Him that glory, you are blaspheming God. You can blaspheme God when the incommunicable attributes of God, like the, omni, the omnipresence of God, the omniscience of God, the, the all-powerful nature of God is shared with man and are attributed to other people. And the Jews looked at him and said, man, you're, you're blaspheming. You don't have the power. Because everything they believed in about sin and, and, and the healing from sin, because those four things were the only things they, the law taught them, were the way to get to God was the way to redemption, was the way, go back that, that one screen, uh, the, the, the four steps of, the four different uh, levels of sin. The, the, these four things were the only things that they knew. And Jesus was literally coming and abolishing, just striking out each one of them, one by one, and said, yes, you don't need to feel guilty. You don't have to live in the guilt. You don't have to live in the shame. You don't have to have sacrifices that you have to make. You don't have to go through personal suffering. You don't have to cut yourself. You don't have to harm yourself. You don't have to beat yourself up. You don't have to go through death. Jesus was coming and saying, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I have done what is to be done to you. And this shocked them. 
can I remind somebody that forgiveness is both man's greatest need and God's most important gift? That's all Jesus wanted to communicate. Oof. See, you notice Jesus doesn't ask him to struggle to arise or to grab. He doesn't say, grab me by my hand. No, no, no. He simply says, stand up. Carry the pallet by yourself. That which they carried you in, you can carry it out. I'm not going to go into this. But Jesus has one message to communicate. If you ask him, how do I have a seat at the table? His answer is this. Mercy trumps sacrifice. That's that last verse. Do you know how many people live in the trap that they think that they can't come back to a loving God? I am calling you to join the ranks of the redeemed. Come on, am I talking to somebody? I'm inviting you to the to Matthew. I know you've been waiting for this opportunity. Do you think Matthew was happy doing what he was doing? You know, in all, all honesty, Jeff, I feel like he was waiting for a way out. He was waiting for a way out, a new lease of life. The tax collectors were the ones that got, they were educated, they were well-educated. They were good at what they did. They just didn't make the cut to a rabbinical school. They knew their Torah. They knew the, the, the word. They knew the books. Come on, am I talking to somebody? They knew the law inside out, but they just didn't make the cut to be under a rabbi. So they got a job that they were not happy with. It made good money. And the moment Jesus calls him, I'm pretty sure the Roman soldier that stood at him by his tent looked at him and said, you might be crazy to drop this well-paying job and walk away from this. But I feel like Matthew was waiting for that opportunity where a rabbi would give him a seat at the table. The once rejected Matthew. The one, the, 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 the time that he was in given, the opportunity that he was in given, like me, I can relate. That moment came up where they said, do you want this spot? No matter how much pride and ego wants to come in the way and your selfish nature wants to come in your way, the only answer at, at, the, at, the, at the question that Jesus asks is yes. So Matthew 9 and verse 13 Jesus encourages them and says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's like, man, that's gone. That's the Old Testament. That's the Old Covenant. I don't, I don't want you to sacrifice anymore. I don't want you to live in guilt and shame anymore. He set a, a way even before the cross came into being. He, set a, he started introducing this idea to them even before redemption happened and before salvation was, before Paul even talked about Jesus was introducing this. And I'm asking God to move me towards that kind of love. Like how many of y'all want to be moved to that kind of love? Where I can love, like I'm not talking about that once in the year Thanksgiving outreach. I'm not talking about that once in a year prison, you know, visit that we do or, or once in a year downtown homeless ministry outreach that we do. I'm talking about a culture of reaching out to the ones that don't have a seat at the table and telling them you're welcome because Jesus welcomes you. 
See, the reason why many people will never meet Jesus is because we stand in the way. We are the Peters and we are the Johns and we are the Andrews that will stand in the way and say, but we're better than they are. But that's Matthew. That's, that's the tax collector. And the Bible says, Matthew, today we're going to have a feast. Worship team, you guys can get ready. Matthew, he says, Matthew, we're going to have a feast. The Bible says, Matthew prepared this big feast for Jesus. And for the very first time, Matthew was getting a seat at a table that he absolutely did not deserve. And Jesus was like, welcome. I need you here. We need you in our midst. We need you with us. I am talking to so many people that feel like you don't belong. I'm talking to people that feel like you've walked and strayed so far away from God. I want to remind somebody that there is hope. I want to be comfortable at, at a table with ex-cons and alcoholics as I am with church folk. Man, I don't want to be satisfied with hands-on rituals. I want God to move me towards hearts in mercy. Jesus' kind of mercy. As Christians, I want us to be captivated by that kind of mercy where God says, man, it's all about mercy. It's not about sacrifice. It's not about what you did and what you've done and what you're going to do. I don't care about your works. Like, how about you? Are you willing to move beyond this once a year suitable for the occasion, sacrifices towards, you know, year-round inconvenient mercy that love and build relationships? Like, like, that's the kind of mercy I want to push you towards. The kind of mercy that can look at the world around us and say, you have a seat at the table. Or we conditioned our hearts only to love the people that look like us, that talk like us. I talked about this last Sunday. Stand up to your feet with me, church. I talked about this last Sunday. And I want to repeat this. Jesus took every opportunity he got to detach himself from his community to make new community. Please understand my heart behind this. Families that are watching online, people that are watching online, people that are sitting here. We cannot accomplish the vision that we have as a church unless and until we understand this. Jesus, please listen, Jesus was constantly looking to remove himself from his built community to find new community. Jesus was constantly looking for opportunities to include people that didn't belong in his community to bring them into community. You and I will never, and I want to repeat this and I want to tell you as strong, as strong as I can, we will never accomplish the vision of going into the world with the good news, the great commission, and we will never be commissioned church unless and until you and I are willing to shed our inhibitions, shed our fears, shed our, 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 our conjured up imagination the things that we have resolved to, the things that we have decided in our hearts, unless and until we're willing to shed that 
and look at people that don't look at us and say, you have a seat at the table. No, you have not arrived to the same level. You're not in the same, same spiritual level. You don't pray like I do. You don't, no, 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 but they still have a seat at the table because Jesus loves them. Allow Jesus to do work in their hearts. Stop opposing Jesus. Stop obstructing Jesus. He wants you to have that person in your life group. He wants you to go and be a part of that life group that you have no business being around and you're like, I have nothing in common with them. But man, go and do it because you have to leave your community. If you want to be the hands of Jesus, leave your comfortable community to go and make new community. Oh, I'll sign up for that life group if you sign up for that life group. No, 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 shed that. Shed that. Put that down and say, I want to make new community. I want to make new friends. I want to allow new people into my life. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.